Chapter 7, Sub-Zero It was a recruitment gone wrong. It won't happen again. Lalo, first you tell me it was a ghost, and now you think you have it under control. Call me a skeptic. The man didn't survive the initiation process. He lingers. It must have been a side effect of the marking. What color did you give him? Silver. What's that? It was new, untested. We've dropped the rest of the silver doses into the pit. You didn't answer my question. Ask Lady Hahn. If there's a rogue ghost prowling in the Underhive, her acolytes will have to get involved. Her wardens should be able to handle it with ease. I agree, but that's not their primary role. I'll speak with Lady Horn and get it sorted. Thanks, Red. Lalo, we don't pay you to be sloppy. The next phase has already begun. It will take longer than the last, but the ascension is coming. Until then, keep the fates on alert and the Underhive clear of any trouble. The following week, I switched my tactics from hunter to scout and worked nights, safely strapped to my bed. Confessor Lewin had assured me that I still had overseer access rights throughout the hive cluster. Getting into the underhive might not be an issue, but staying and not being ripped apart was the real trick. In my ethereal form, I could travel the usual alleys and avenues, checking the watchers, guards, and enforcers, as well as the various rally points in Sector 100B. I burrowed deep, reaching the lowest decks with the most security. I did it once and rang all sorts of alarms. I didn't know by whom or how I'd been detected, but I didn't stick around. I'd seen enough. Somewhere Zaxxus was laughing. There was always the question of how much they knew about me. That was key. Lalo had said that I couldn't hide from them, but they couldn't find me if they didn't at least know my name. Silver Restricted simply wasn't enough. If they knew who I was, they might be able to track me whenever I stepped outside of the Overhive. I knew of one Underhive tavern I had to visit in my bodily form, but I would need an invitation to get in. I followed certain familiar faces, learning their access ways in and out of 100B and their favorite haunts across the lower hive. Lalo's henchmen were known as the Fates. They were as much substance as legend throughout the sectors of Sub-Zero. The Fates were feared by other gangs, especially the powerful 99s that controlled many of the sectors directly above the Underhive. Everyone steered clear of their path, and I knew why. It took me a few days to figure out the Fates' recruitment process. New recruits were given a special injection, only one, without any shunt to ease the pain. If they survived, they were in, period. They were marked and always carried their bona fides on their shoulders. New recruits were escorted around, introduced to other gang bosses, and placed at the most popular Sub-Zero clubs. Somehow, floating in my vat, I'd missed it all. Rising all the way to Ground Zero, the reach of the Underhive was eye-opening. Exclusive clubs within clubs for the Sub-Zero powers seemed like a requirement for any successful hotspot in the entertainment districts. The fact that these were run by agents of the Underhive hadn't gone unnoticed in my ghostly scouting forays. With every long line out front, there was always a secret entrance through the side via an adjacent business, or the back via an unmarked alley. I had a dozen Lower Hive Central Districts mapped out in my head and knew which ones I'd try first. Having been a ghost for a year, it was time for my resurrection. Ryun Gun seemed surprised to hear from me after a week of silence. Bereft of knife fights and the pulling of hair, my coming-out party had been a success, but it lacked the requisite follow-on night of thrill-seeking in Sub-Zero. I didn't know if it was them or me, so I assumed me and made the call. 
Ryan had been my best friend before my ill-fated rabbit run, and he was known to enjoy a hangover with the best of them. Ryan, I'm thinking of getting the gang back together. Let's all head out for a weekend of partying and pain. Call me when you get this. The state of our personal comms meant that Ryan received my message as soon as I spoke it. The fact that he'd let it simmer was a hint, but I didn't let it get me totally down. The return call arrived a few minutes later to finish the job. Parrick, this is Court. Gunn says you're begging for some fun, but I'm not sure you're ready for it. Court McNail had honored his invitation to my party with a friendly handshake under the watchful eye of his father. At this point, I didn't care if he behaved or not. His sister was another story. Ready for what? I said. Sub-Zero. While you were sleeping, we've been chasing our own rabbits in the lower hive. How far down have you gone? Do you care? No, not really. I've heard of some cool places. Bodyguards optional. As far as I could tell, once you were in Sub-Zero, everything was basically the same across the first 30 sectors or so. Below that, things became more exciting and intimate until the presence of your bodyguards did you more harm than good. What's that supposed to mean? I heard yours were out of commission, and I didn't want you to feel at risk. Court didn't hesitate. I'll live on the edge. Can you? There was more than a challenge in his voice. I heard contempt, which I took in stride. It was far better than pity. Only on the weekends, I replied. Send me your list of cool places, and I'll see if there are any worth trying. I'll let you know when and where. Court, who died and left you in charge? You did. He had me there. I went deeper with my list than I'd originally intended, sending Court a few of the more vibrant options in Sector 40B. I'd never spent considerable time in Sub-Zero, and never anything lower than Sector 10B with bodyguards in tow. I'd been trying to impress Callie at the time. It hadn't worked. This time around, I had a whole new set of friends to impress, and I'd leave the bodyguards at home. Court eventually responded with a place and time. He'd done his homework and picked the most popular hangout, a split-level club called Span, with two official entrances on two different levels of 40B. I wore a long black leather jacket over a sleeveless designer top made of silver micro-mesh, PDF battle dress pants, and my new custom boots. The jacket had an inner lining of Fibrex to stop stray knives or slugs and reduce the bite of laser bolts. Asher McNail ignored my further pleas for fashion advice, but the Dura leather jacket was the next best thing to a bodyguard, and the pants matched those worn down on 100B. Everything was flame-resistant, and I assumed that lightning never struck a scion of the overhive twice. I took the long way to the club, making a risky detour through the dank and dimly lit confines of 99B. I wasn't a ghost, and I wanted the underhive to know it. I let the video sensor capture my full-body apparition. The dogs continued to nap through the evening. I circled around to another service elevator for the ride up and began hunting through Sector 40B. The most prevalent construction materials of every hive city were polysteel and plascrete in various shades of blue, green, and gray, and only a finite amount of material was available. Adding a new wall meant that an old wall disappeared somewhere else, and recycled material always looked darker and dingier than the original. The repurposing of businesses and abodes was a way of life, and after thousands of years, the surfaces of Sub-Zero were uniformly uninspiring. To avoid getting lost in one's own backyard, the creative use of exterior lighting, artificial sunlight, and sound broke up the dense urban landscape, especially within the entertainment districts, and offered beacons to follow when the crowds weren't flowing your way. 
Club Span was still a mile west through the burgeoning night when I found the right place. Watersheds was the sort of pub that would never have a line. Hidden behind a hive maintenance station, it wasn't officially a dive, but it was narrow and uninviting. With a long bar counter on the left and a few bright red booths on the right, the place fronted a small back room. Through the back room and a door-marked kitchen, one found a short hallway into a larger, finer, more selective club filled with shiny poles and brushed leather seating. The inorganic upholstery looked incredibly real in its texture. It was also the usual haunt for a pair of blue-stained auras named Breezy and List. I took a seat at the bar in watersheds and ordered vitamin water. The Medicaid and Confessor Lewin had both been more than insistent when it came to avoiding any stims or depressants. If I wanted to remain in control of my mind and my bedroom restraints, I'd better abstain. I'd done them one better and asked to be tested every week. The last thing I needed was for someone to slip something into my drink. The watershed's bartender gave me a curious look, silently asking if I knew where I was. This wasn't a place that any random thrill-seeker stumbled into and stayed. It was a front for a back door and little else. Tucked between two bottles on the bar shelf over the man's shoulder, a video sensor scanned the room. I didn't wave. In a few minutes, my quarry was on their way over from the kitchen club. I felt their presence arrive in the back room, and that was my cue. I hurried out of the bar, following a haphazard route through the burgeoning crowds. The night was no longer young. I was running late but figured the lines to get into club span would slow down court and friends. I cut it a bit close. The group was only a dozen patrons back from the south door when I arrived. I was pleased to ignore all the faces, familiar and otherwise, as I walked straight to the front of the line. This club was on my list for one reason. The fates controlled the doors and the bartenders. Pointing down the block to the far end of the line, the pair of purple-tinted bouncers didn't even say hello. I'd met their kind before, but they hadn't met me. It's my birthday, fellas. Why don't you let me in? I could have explained who I was, but the well-wishers standing in line looked bored. The two fates didn't know me from the emperor. The remarks of disgust coming from the restless line to my right extended well beyond my hearing as one of the bouncers stepped forward. Why don't you get lost, kid? He placed his hand against my chest and shoved me back a step. It was his fault, not mine. Up until that moment, he was unnaturally strong, snap a drunken half strong, and now I was wearing most of his purple-tainted cologne. The bouncer stared at me in disbelief as he steadied himself, barely keeping his feet beneath him. I'd stolen a heap of purple energy from the man during his careless touch. I gave him another hint. My eyes let slip a flash of silver as I leaned in. I could be more than intimidating when I felt like it. You want to dance with me for all these eye-pleasing strangers? The bouncer smiled and his face blurred beneath a mask of unreal aggression. Fella, you just made my night. Jeremy, bolt the door. My guess was that Jeremy harbored toughness more than strength. He'd be an anchor to stop anyone trying to bullrush their way inside. I glanced to my right as I took a step back from the more agitated bouncer. I had everyone's attention, and I could see the smile on Court McNeil's face growing bigger by the second. Nobody messed with the bouncers at this club, not unless you were one of them. A group of four young women waited to my immediate right, wearing a vibrant material stretched to the breaking point. Pointing the ladies out, I stacked my chips even higher. When I go inside, these four go in with me. That earned me a few sarcastic cheers from the crowd. 
I'm not sure the four women wanted to be associated with a gate crasher, but at least I had everyone's full attention. I waved to the video sensors stationed over the door. Who knew there'd be a show? Are you done? Said the bouncer. I held up my hands. Wait, I don't want to get any of your blood on my new jacket. I slipped out of the Dura leather masterpiece and held it out to the nearest woman in line. Please hold this for me. She took it and then handed it right back, pointing at the two bouncers. Each stood aside near the wide open door. The magic marks on my shoulders had worked. After you, I said to the young ladies. Have fun. The youngest looking of the four let the others pass first. She had long, dark brown hair, the slightest hint of freckles across the bridge of her nose, and a perfectly cute smile. On any other night, she was totally out of my league. I'm Luna. What's your name? My friends call me Silver. It's easy to remember. I said this last to the two bouncers and waited for their nods. Okay then, I'll see you inside. With a quick wave, Luna disappeared through the door in a wall of active mist. I eyed the more aggressive bouncer. What's your name? Teague. He looked like he might need a nap. Jeremy, there's a group of harmless thrill-seekers about ten back. I looked over my shoulder, and Ryan gave us a quick wave. Please find them a spot in the VIP section and make sure they don't hurt themselves. They've left their bodyguards at home. I didn't wait around for a response. Luna's perfume still floated on the air ahead of me, and I didn't have an abundance of time, not with the two blue fates still on my tail. I'd been in Span before, scouting the north and south lounges and the private rooms in between, but never in physical form. The basement was where the real party happened, spread out around an octagon of violent entertainment and loud music. I could feel it through the floor. The surrounding mist jumped with a dozen conflicting beats, adding its own psychoactive energy to the place. Inside the club, everyone wore an artificial aura driven by their desires, moods, aggression, or level of inebriation. It said so on the hive net. A puff of white noise seemed to scatter the pattern around me, and it only took a moment for me to blend in. I circled wide of the women's table. Somehow, they'd gotten a booth overlooking the dance floor. I was a stalker, but not that kind of stalker. I hoped that their night ended better than mine. I reached the long staircase, the span that crossed the huge room diagonally, leading up to the north side lounge. The crowd there suffered from an even more severe lack of space. A holographic band floated above the patrons' heads, bouncing with the beat. The dance floor shifted under a sonic assault as a more passive fog rolled in. Lasers tracked every individual, reading body temps and brain waves. I released a tiny burst of energy with every beat, challenging the AI that ran the system and watching the laser light change from white to blue to yellow. In a fit, it snapped to red as I ducked out a door behind a wall of speakers. The service stairs angled downward into a back hall. The club's misty south lounge was to my left, while to the right, a pair of bouncers blocked an unmarked door. I had five minutes, Max, under more civilized management. I steered back into the mist and found the VIP section in a limited access balcony. Cloaking myself in a patch of mist and bending light, I avoided any more challenges on my way into the guarded space. There were a few key objectives for this mission. The first sat with Calabale's leg draped across his. Court, Callie, great seeing you here. Great view, isn't it? With their controlling natures, the pair were meant for each other. But Callie was dressed to stun, and they'd had far more time to make the switch. I'd slept through most of the breakup and woke up way too soon. Feth. 
Asher McNeil looked as astonishing and bored as ever. Her date, a female designer type, simply looked astonished by my amateur attempt at fashion. I didn't know the woman. Ryan and his girlfriend Serena were down on the dance floor, spinning their own webs in the mist. Peric, name your poison. Drinks are on the house tonight. Cord had found the place to his liking, and the glossy sheen that surrounded him was easily visible from the bar across the room. Between that and Callie's dry ice imitation, I checked one thing off of my list. I'm good. I can't drink. There I said it. Let them chew on that. And yet you frequent one of the hottest clubs in Sub-Zero. There was a question in there somewhere, but I missed it. My time was up. There's our silver-tongued devil. An arm slipped under my jacket and looped around my waist. To my right, the blue tint of list kept me occupied while Breezy patted me down in a subtle yet suggestive manner. Okay, maybe not that subtle. Yes, I was real right down to my testicles. Can't drink, can't carry a gun, but I still have those. I held my silver tongue and waited for punchline number two. Do we know you? Callie Bale knew the rules. We were in sub-zero. Nobody from the Overhive would openly divulge their identity without knowing everyone present. Silver hasn't mentioned his connections. List was good. He'd already ratted me out once. Say my name, I thought. Glazed over, Court sat up at that. Who's Silver? Not that name. I glanced at Asher with a small shake of my head. She was buzzed enough to know the real color of my eyes. The mist plays tricks with one's eyes, I said, clamping the hand of a beautiful blue-eyed woman to my hip. Not so fast. I leaned in and nuzzled Breezy's delicate ear. And now you know my secret. What secret? Said Callie. Ask your boyfriend tomorrow when he climbs out of the vat. I wanted to spit when I said it. I was getting nowhere. Hey, who died? The night is young. Ryan returned with Serena. They were soaked in sweat and other substances better not mentioned. At least someone was having a great time. Liss put his arm on my shoulder, completing the circuit. The pair of blues dared me to act. They didn't know what I could do in my resurrected state and were looking for a demonstration. I showed them. Grabbing Breezy's diaphanous silk shirt, I kissed her full on the mouth. To my surprise, she kissed me back. It was all that I could do to keep track of her hands and the holsters that she wore beneath her jacket. If I were going to kill me, this is how I'd do it. Biting into my lip and probing my tongue as I pulled the trigger of a hot-shotted Lay's pistol. Court was impressed by the display. Get a room, you two. I doubted he'd remember it in the morning. But by the looks in their eyes, Callie and Asher certainly would. I could live with that.